welcome to the DDP podcast channel. We sincerely hope you will enjoy this episode. Don't forget to turn on your notification bell and to follow us right here on Spotify for more podcast episodes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you might be joining us today. Uh, welcome back to DDP Podcasts. Um, today I'm joined by Sharon from Lawyers for Human Rights, an incredible human rights activist and advocate for social justice. Um, as always, um, I'll guess description and the job that they do and the kind of work that they do is always attached to our uh, description below. And I think I'm going to figure out the title of what we're actually going to call our discussion today a little bit later on. Um, obviously, anybody who's listening right now, there already is a title, but I'm still working through it in, in my mind because I really think um, this particular conversation that Sharon and I are going to have now is a little bit unique to what DDP podcasts usually do because it's fresh, fresh news um, and something that's still being discussed today. Um, but before we get into that, um, Sharon, how are you doing today? Um, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, I am doing all right. Um, yeah, under the circumstances. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not sure when our listeners, you're listening to this, but um, for those of you who might not know, on the 31st of August, which today on the day of recording was yesterday, um, South Africa had one of its worst fires in, in history um, at Johannesburg CBD, um, where currently the death toll is sitting at 74 people who have passed away, and 12 of those people were children. And a tragedy, a tragedy has been turned completely into a political conversation um, and a complete disregard for for life um and Sharon I was thinking maybe we can just unpack um this incident um a little bit more um what are your what are your thoughts on the current environment and the reaction um that has occurred regarding the the fire uh, thanks younger I mean you know we are still getting reports from various NGOs and people on the ground who are telling us how families are, those who survived the fire, the additional trauma that they're going through, having suffered, you know, either seeing their loved ones uh, burning, having struggled to escape, they're now being denied access to the mortuaries mm. if unless they can provide documentation. So that's that's the current phase. But I, I just wanted to comment on your point about the politics of all of this. And I think, you know, nothing in our lives living on the African continent or in particular in South Africa is not political mm. because of our past, because of colonization, because of apartheid. But what we need to... Uh, denounce what we need to call out is mm. the way in which political parties turn 
life and death issues into a political football to score points and to win votes. And I, I think that that is the worst form of, of um, injustice that that we can meet out to to people who have in this instance as you pointed out it's one of our worst um in, in our history this the the enormity of this crisis is unmatched in in a residential area uh, with with the uh, the kind of impact that it's had and the lives that have been lost and you get um politicians trying to score points and and you know the blame game Mm -hmm. um you know Sharon I just want to go to to the press statement um that lawyers for human rights had released regarding this uh building fire um and perhaps if you can um maybe just unpack for our readers firstly the work that lawyers for human rights does one um and number two the role of the constitution in a situation like this right now? So Lawyers for Human Rights has a number of programs and um, the Refugee and Migrant Rights Program is one of its biggest programs and it's been around for decades. In fact, I think it it was formed at the time of the writing of the, the our Refugee Act, mm. which has now recently been amended. Uh, we have also um, a land and housing and property rights program. And I think we see over the years the convergence um, in terms of our work um, with what can only be described as the criminalization of poverty in our country. Mm. And there you have the most vulnerable, and this is uh, South Africans, predominantly Black African mm. South Africans, and you have, uh, you know, our brothers and sisters from the African continent who are uh, bearing the brunt, the disproportionate impact of poverty and unemployment on the majority of people who live in this country who are Black. Right. And so, so, for example, with the land and housing, they deal with a number of issues around unlawful evictions, mm. um, you know, and, 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 and in that there would be migrants, South Africans, and, and we need to be assisting. We also have an environmental rights program, and there again, another overlap with the kind of forced displacement that we're seeing on the continent and how uh, forced displacement has being, you know, you not only have it because of conflict and uh, fear of uh, persecution because of your sexual orientation, but also because it's unlivable uh, given the impact of the climate crisis. And that's also political because we know that the, the climate crisis, there's a disproportionate impact on sub-Saharan Africa mm. um, in terms of the impact on land and livelihoods compared to the North. Uh, which are really the the culprits and the delinquents in mm. um, you know the, the the contribution to to the the what we're suffering and the consequences of um, the the climate crisis. I think we're going to come back to to that conversation of um, climate in just a little bit. 
Um, because I think it's it's very important. Um, because climate change has just completely flipped the quite literally the reality that we have been functioning in upside down that overnight it can flood and you immediately are displaced and everything you know um, is completely out of your control. But we'll come back to that in just a second on the impact that it has on how we can come to understand migration as a whole, as a human species. Um, With the CBD fire, a lot of critique that has come out of it and critique which by the way is not even rooted in in any truth to a certain extent um and this complete disassociation from the reality of the matter is the phenomenon of othering um and i just want to ask you the impact of othering within south africa not just from a political perspective but overall how it impacts the relationship that South Africans have with the government. Um, it's, it's, you know, I, I think it's difficult not to speak about uh, this in the context of, of fake news, uh, of uh, how, as you said, um, has, you know, the, what whatever is being said, the responses have no uh, basis in um, uh, evidence-based, uh, you know, information um, uh, in in what what is being said. Um, and and to give you a very glib response, um, South Africa has joined ranks with global, uh, um, you know world organizations in uh, com- countries sorry like um the uk uh, america in blaming and scapegoating migrants um and and that comes with the not only xenophobia but islamophobia it comes with homophobia with anything that can divide us and blame uh, any particular section of humanity, um, and and it it has very successfully used and abused social media to then deflect from ordinary people holding governments to account for their failure to enforce policy, for their mm-hmm. failure to deal with the serious problems of, and and and. Systemic unemployment is a global problem. That's the state in which we are living with capitalism on steroids, uh, with you know um, the global market consuming further and further uh, parts of the world, and where the very nature of work has completely changed, mm. and issues of dignity and human rights are you know it's it's completely been thrown out the window and and so i think that's the global context and south africa is unfortunately following in this trend of using laws and using its sovereignty to limit the movement of people and in our context it has to be said that it is predominantly black african people 
Mm. We are, uh, you know, policing black bodies once again. And, and instead of, as the 1951 convention has set out mm. and the OAU convention around looking at this through the lenses of protection, right. of appreciating that people are fleeing because they have no choice. Right. And I think that's where your point on the climate crisis must come in as well. Mm. I think I think it's very important moment now for us to 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 unpack that right that this system of um completely policing uh, black bodies um it's a system that's it's it's not going to work with the continued um proliferation of the nature of climate change issues and it forces states now to truly have a reality check of you can't use this misinformation and disinformation to other people when flocks of people are kind of needing a place for refuge, needing a place for safety. Um, and we think right now with the impact that the Pakistan flood, for example, had on the type of relationship um, that was already strained between Pakistan and India, um, but India being one of the closest countries that uh, Pakistanis could flee to because of the fact that close to 3 million people were completely displaced overnight. Um, and that makes me wonder about how the government has been um, acting specifically to uh, think about Mozambicans that come over to South Africa once a climate disaster has hit the country and the difficulty for them to be even be able to enter in. Um, and so I just wanted to ask you, how do you think um, is the best way now for states to start understanding what migration actually is instead of continuously spewing out the othering narrative for the sake of political gain? I don't I don't think that it's gonna happen on its own. I mm. think more and more globally states, um, we are seeing the ugly rise of nationalism, of national chauvinism. Yeah. And and uh, it's going to take a, a international movement uh, which speaks to human dignity, human rights, which speaks to a movement of human beings, yeah. uh, where we we have to be global citizens and and counter the narrow nationalism of states who more and more are protecting their very very narrow interests and literally their jobs as working in a government and a state. And then I think that is also, um, um, you know, we, we speak about corruption and we speak about state capture, but I think a lot more needs to be done to expose the extent to which multinationals are um, forming very, um, uh, you know, um, I can't find the right word, but the, the, the way in which they're working with states precisely to have policies like gear, mm. uh, economic policies that are anti-poor, that mm. are anti-equality, uh, that are anti-transformation. Mm. And I think that's, we have to, as a, as, as people, um, take a stand against this because the states are in cahoots with global capital. They're in, in cahoots with the big 
mighty nations like China and 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 America and and the UK, and it's all about protecting the markets, but right. protecting the markets for who? And mm. that's the question we've got to ask. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I saw an interview the other day about the role that Goldman Sachs, out of all uh, you know, partners and stakeholders a person could think of, but I guess it makes sense. Um, but the role that Goldman Sachs played more than 10 years ago um, in the conceptualization of what we have as BRICS today. Um, and exactly what you're just saying now, whose interests are being protected? Um, and these anti-poor policies that are being pushed out are for whom exactly? And I think that's that's a very, very important um, conversation and point that you've just brought up there. And Sharon, I want us to ch chat about the role of, of race um, in the conversation of migration. I think it was highlighted um, very explicitly with the uh, Ukraine conflict, um, kind of just how Black refugees were being treated compared to white Ukrainians and the different treatment of uh, receiving uh, people from Ukraine who were fleeing the war and even um, people who weren't Ukrainian but were trying to get back to the African countries, finding it difficult to leave the country, right? And there was a lot of media that was published um, pointing out the hypocrisy, etc. But I want to talk about it from the lens of um, internalized racism within our own African continent that can cause many, many, many South Africans in this case to not want brothers and sisters that look exactly like them to come into the country in order to have a better life, to escape literal death. Um, what's, what's, how do you see race, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but how do you see race um, play out in, in migration issues? Um, it's, it's a very, very tough question because I, I, I think, you know, um, we, we don't fully um, acknowledge and understand the, the extent to which um, violence um, informs us as a people. And, and of course, that's rooted in our past. It's rooted in the, the extent of repression that was imposed on us by the apartheid regime. It's, you know, and I can only speak to you about, you know, what uh, Black consciousness and the role that it played mm. in, in affirming our identity as Black people and in countering the the barrage of 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 what was spewed out by the apartheid regime but i also feel that we haven't you know um taken into account adequately as 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 a people as people living in south africa mm -hmm. um the damage going right back to slavery and the privatization of black bodies and the ownership of black bodies. Um, and so there's been no, and so, you know, as you speak about uh, people from Mozambique being displaced and how are they received in South Africa, it's, it's exactly the same as we deal with so-called economic migrants. It's exactly the same as we are dealing with 
if you listen to the responses of, you know, 70, over 70 people have died, 12 children. Yeah. And Gayton McKenzie can, all he can say is, we need mass deportation of people. No, and he won't even probably use the word people because we don't consider uh, the word human. There's no, it's not in our vocabulary. So, you know, I, I think it's, that's how complex the, the our uh, our messed up psyche, if you like, as as people living in South Africa, mm. we were so divided around identities that were forced on us mm. uh, from being non-white, from being a non-entity, to then these racial classifications, which mean nothing. And so then you get on top of that this notion of a rainbow nation, when the fundamental divisions of class, race, and gender have not been resolved. We don't have anywhere near the the forms of transformation in our country that we're obliged to carry out as per our constitution. Our constitution has a section that in law, we this government should be transforming South Africa. And, and if you think almost 30 years into our democracy, yeah. the crisis in the city of Joburg is one of lack of affordable housing for the majority of the people living in the city. If you can afford a house, then you can buy that dignity of having a house. So, you know, I, I, I don't know if that answers you, but I do feel that the, on the one level, um, the, our history has damaged us, damaged our soul as, as people. Um, but I, I think that the issue of race then repeats itself globally. And if you compare, the the actual penning of the 1951 convention mm. it was done for a predominantly white population right. in europe yeah. and we must look at how did america receive those white refugees mm. and how were they treated and today the hypocrisy of how states across the world are looking at every possible way including south africa of keeping people out, people who have nowhere to go, no refuge, and we're still denying them access. Mm, sure. I think you touched on um, something that one of my friends and I were discussing this the other day, that the amount of uh, psychological damage that our history has had on black people is what is holding us back right and it is a trauma that is passed on from one generation to the next to the next to the next and until we can get to unpacking the psychological um, damage that had been inflicted on black people and as you pointed out from you know identities that were forced onto us we are going to continue to see um this denial of our brothers and sisters across the continent and it always remains the biggest irony for me because we are signatured to the african union to the yeah. african union's constitutive act um to the african union's you know charter on good governance on elections and democracy there's this pledge 
that has been done across the whole continent that situations like this should be very simple and an easy fix, right? Um, and yet that's just not happening. It's just not translating. And um, just to wrap up, I just wanted you to maybe unpack for me what a human right is and how dignity is crucial in the core of what a human right is and what it means to be a human that exists for themselves but also respects others and is respected by others. So I think I'll start with the negative and to say that the, the our history of colonization and our history of apartheid defines what how people who are not treated as human beings that that is our history right. and the democratization of south africa uh, came with one of the most powerful constitutions in the world and right. it was fought it wasn't just handed down on a plate right. and the equality clause in particular was uh, fought in civil society to ensure that it is uh, formulated in the way that it is, which includes uh, that, you know, uh, no discrimination based on sexual orientation, which I think was way ahead of its time, given mm. where we are today, mm. on the, on, particularly in countries on the African continent. So the, the, the cornerstone, the vision, the ethos of our constitution is respect for human rights and human rights are what inalienable right what what you should just being born a human mm. that's you should have the right to a decent job because job you know and, and there's been litigation in court uh, on speaking about the the need for human beings to work as mm. part of dignity and and so you know the 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 bill of rights sets out what are the very basic things that you would need as a human being that should not be up for price it shouldn't be a consumable good and and i think that that's the distinction if you you should not be able to go to the hospital only and and get quality healthcare only because you can pay for it and buy it yeah. or you couldn't or access to education shouldn't be the privilege of those who can pay for it. And yet, that's what we're seeing in our country, continuing the consumerization of life, um, the crisis of social reproduction. And I think that the question of social reproduction, understanding that as a species, we, you know, um, we have we have the society, we have children and what? What, does, what do we need in order to exist as a society? We need to be able to go to school. We need to be able to access healthcare. We need uh, water. We need uh, fresh air. And, and these are all enshrined in our Bill of Rights because we were denied it in the past. Right. And it's, so it's very deliberate that they, there's actually a uh, legal clause in our constitution that enforces those rights um, and, and on top of that, 
again, because of our past, uh, it says all who live in this country. And I think that that really needs to be unpacked and it goes directly to migrant labor, to the way in which the white apartheid government kept black people out of what would have been a only white South Africa. And so those wordings are not accidental. They're not just thrown in there for good measure. They were very deliberate in saying that the the Bill of Rights is enshrined to protect all who live in South Africa. Um, and, and, and I think that's become the most contentious in our current crisis in how we're managing movement of human beings, of people um, in, in, in South Africa and in the region. Mm, thank you so much, Sharon. I think we can end it right there. And thank you um, for, for this conversation. Um, it was truly, I think, so much more can be unpacked um, and so much more can be spoken about. Um, but due to time constraints, this is where I think we're going to end it. Um, but thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Sharon, for, for joining our, our podcast. Um, I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was good chatting with you. Thank you. And thank you so much to all our listeners for joining in for this podcast. Um, I look forward to your feedback. Please make sure to leave us a comment on our social media pages um, on what you thought of, of today's podcast. And also um, make sure to uh, stay in touch with Lawyers for Human Rights. I will attach their social media um, handles right here below in the podcast. Um, and in case you have forgotten, don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you are listening over on YouTube and that follow button here on Spotify for you to know exactly when we have a new episode for you. With that being said, thank you so much and I will see you again next time. Well, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out our social media pages at DDP underscore democracy to engage with more of our content. Or you can head on over to our website at ddp.org.za to keep up with any events that we might have planned for you. Thank you once again for...